Nothing but the blood of Jesus has the power to set me free. What a perfect message. Thank you, choir, for that wonderful special. Let us go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open up your word now and we come to a time of worship where we worship by hearing from you, listening to you. And Father, I pray as we listen to your word, Lord, that we not just simply listen to it as some simple exercise, but Lord, that we would listen to it to apply it to our lives so that as we apply your word to our lives, we can live a life that exalts and glorifies your name. And Lord, if there are those here today who do not know you, I pray that you would touch their hearts hearing this message today. Touch their hearts and let them see Jesus so they would, that they may know the power that is in the blood of Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we are taking a little break from <coughs> Philippians. <clears throat> and we're going to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, looking at verses 16 through 26. I just felt like today was the day to go to this verse. So uh, God led me to this, so this is where we are. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. We're looking at the story of the rich young man as he comes to Jesus. And he asks this question. What must I do to have eternal life? And so that is the question that we look to today. How to gain eternal life. How to gain eternal life. So if you found your place there in Matthew chapter 19, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. And behold, a man came up to him, up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would, have, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come Follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. You may be seated. Well, as we begin this story here in Matthew's gospel, this episode between Jesus and this young rich man, we began with the age-old question. What must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? This is the age-old question. This is a question that, that men have asked since the very beginning. What must I do to have eternal life? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, uh, Solomon there tells us that God has written eternity on the heart of man. And throughout history, we see that that proves to be true. <clears throat> Regardless of, of what nation you go to, no matter what culture, no matter where you go in the world, there's this in, inherent idea within man that there's something beyond this life. There's something beyond this life. There's more to it than just what this life has to offer. And so man throughout all of creation, throughout all ages, has been asking this question, if there's something more, how do I obtain it? What must I do to have this eternal life? What must I do? Perhaps there's those here today who asked that very question, what must I do to have eternal life? And that's the question that we want to answer here in this passage. So as we look at the story then, as we begin to work through it, here's this young man. He's a young Jewish man, and so he's grown up knowing the law of Moses. He knows what the law says. But here is Jesus this great teacher who is going throughout the land and, and he teaches God's Word with great authority. And so it was common, even in that day, as it is today, for people to go to these great teachers and ask them these questions. I mean, they, they know the Word so well, surely they know the answer. So he comes to Jesus asking this very question. Notice what he says. This man, he came to Jesus and saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? You see, he begins with this assumption. Yet another assumption that seems to be in the heart of man. To gain eternal life, we must do something good. We must accomplish something good. If you ask someone... If you die today, would you wake up in heaven? And, you, and they say yes. So a lot of times when you dig a little deeper, well, what makes you think you'll have eternal life? Well, I'm a pretty good fella or I'm a pretty good gal. 
You know, if, if I can just live life and, and live a pretty good life, you know, a little bit better than most. Maybe if I can just, you know, my good deeds outweigh the bad things that I do. If I'm good enough, then, then just maybe, maybe I'll have eternal life. <clears throat> you see, that term there, what good deed must I do, the term good is a relative term. It's relative in the, in the sense that we have to have a standard of measurement by which to judge it, don't we? You could say that I'm a good guitarist. All right. Good compared to what? <laughs> if you compare me to a, a beginner, uh, then you could say, oh, yeah, you're Rich, <clears throat> Brother Richard, you are a good guitarist. But if you, you know, compare me to someone like Stevie Ray Vaughan, <laughs> then not so much, right? I'm more like a beginner if you compare me to someone great. So good is a relative term. It's a relative term. And see, the problem with us is we like to compare ourselves to one another. Because if we compare ourselves to one another, then we can say, all right, well, I'm a pretty good old boy <laughs> compared to that fellow down there, right? We can always find someone who is a little worse off than we are. So good is a relative term. So this guy, he asked Jesus, what good deed must I do to gain eternal life? That's the general idea that most people have. They have to do a good deed. And good in comparison to someone else. Right? But what does Jesus say? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. You see, Jesus brings out subtle clue here of where, where he's going. He begins to tell this young man, you're asking me about what good deed? What good deed? How do you define good, young man? There's only one who is good. You see, we compare ourselves to other people. Other people that we can find flaws in. Other people that we can say they're worse off than we are. But Jesus said there is one who is good. In other words, as we begin to look at ourselves and, and determine how good we are, and we're talking about moral goodness, or to use the Bible's term, righteousness. When we talk about moral goodness, moral righteousness, then there's only one standard by which we must measure ourselves. Not one another, but the one who is good, God. God is our standard of measurement when we go to talking about moral goodness or righteousness. God is the standard. We don't measure ourselves against Hitler or anyone else. 
We measure our goodness by God's goodness. So how do we... How do we understand that? How do we even know, get a picture of God's goodness? Well, as Jesus goes on to begin to work through, God has been gracious enough to us to reveal His goodness, to reveal His, His character, His holy, righteous character through the Old Testament law. When you look at the Old Testament, when God gives Israel the Ten Commandments, that's just a reflection of the character, the moral goodness of God. It defines for us who God is. And so Jesus begins to work through the Old Testament law, specifically the Ten Commandments. Notice what he says there. If you would enter life, enter eternal life, Keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Which ones? Jesus is very gracious to this young man, isn't he? I mean, he could say, well, you idiot, all of them. But he's gracious, and he begins to work through it with this, this fellow. He says to him, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and, here he sums it all up, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Funny that Jesus begins with the second table of the law, isn't it? I mean, we have in the, the Ten Commandments, you have two tables. You have uh, table number one uh, with uh, commandments one through four. And they all deal with man's relationship with God, beginning with the, the, the most important, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? And then the second table of the law deals with man's relationship to other men, to mankind. And that's where Jesus begins. That's where he begins. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. He begins there because in reality we think that's the easy part. Oh, that is the easy part. And so Jesus begins with the easy part. At least in our feeble minds, what is the easy part? And notice what the young man says to him. All these I have kept. All these I have kept. Now, Jesus is, again, he's gracious. He's very gracious to this man. He could say, oh, well, you wasn't there when I gave the Sermon on the Mount, were you? So, so let me just go over this again with you. If, you. if you hate someone in your heart, you've already committed murder. If you have lusted after another woman in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. But that's not where Jesus goes. No, Jesus being gracious, <laughs> He allows the conversation to continue. And the young man, he says, what do I still lack? It's interesting that after he comes to the conclusion, all of these things I have done, he still has this nagging sense that something is still wrong. Something is still not right. There's something more, Jesus, that I need. 
Even if I have done all of this, there's something that's burning in my heart. There's something else I still need. You ever had that burning question in your mind? Look at all that I have done. Yet there's something else. Something is missing. Oh Lord, would you just show me what that something else is? So Jesus continues. Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect. If you would be perfect. You see, that's what the law commands. <laughs> the law commands perfection. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. Jesus says to Israel, Be ye holy as the Lord your God is holy. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus interprets this to the people of his day and he says, You be perfect as the Lord your God is perfect. That means if you are to gain eternal life from your actions, then you must be absolutely perfect. Notice what he says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. You see, Jesus began with the second table of the law, which we have in our minds that's so easy and simple, but then he comes to the first table of the law. Now Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. As this young man comes with all of his possessions and he comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell all that you have. Because ultimately, all of this man's possessions were this man's God's. All of what he had that was his God. He clung to it. He longed for it. That's what he lived for. That's why the passage goes on and say he went, he went away disappointed. Because he couldn't let go of his God. When the first table of the law says, have no other gods before me. When the law says, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. When the Son of God is standing before this man and saying, go sell everything that you have. Come follow me. He can't do it. Because he loves his possessions more than he loves God. And you see, that's where we... Very, that's where we begin to fail. Because if we're absolutely honest with ourselves, if we're absolutely honest, we are more interested in ourselves than we are in anything God has to offer. When it comes down to it, we're more interested in, in what God has to offer us for our benefit. And we are interested in giving God all we have because He is worthy of everything. 
You see, if we will be perfect, we must love the Lord our God with all of our being and love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. You see, what is required to gain eternal life, Jesus reveals to this man and to us today, perfect righteousness, perfect moral goodness is required to gain eternal life. You want to know how to gain eternal life, how to to win your way into heaven, how to gain to do it yourself, then you must be absolutely perfect in all counts of the law. You must love the Lord your God with all of your being. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You must keep God's law, His Word, perfectly. Perfect righteousness, perfect moral goodness is what God demands of His creation. And if you don't have perfect righteousness, then you can never gain eternal life. You cannot. You cannot. Perfect righteousness is required to to gain eternal life. As we continue there looking then, How is it ever possible? How is it even possible? You see, when the young man here in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, he could not love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength because he loved his possessions too much. And Jesus, taking that cue, turns to his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus is not talking about a short gate in the wall of Jerusalem. Jesus is talking about a, a needle, a surgical needle. It is, it is easier for you to fit a full-grown camel into the eye of a surgical needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the, he- into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is, is getting at the impossibility of it. And his disciples get it, right? When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? If it's easier for us to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven, What's the hope for any of us? And look what Jesus says. Look what He says. He looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. With man this is impossible. Perfect righteousness is impossible. Absolutely impossible for mankind. 
Perfect righteousness is absolutely impossible for mankind. In other words, if you're here today and you think, if I can just do enough, if I can just go to church often enough, if I can just give enough money to the offering plate when it comes by, if I can just give enough to, to care and hope, if, if I can just do enough in this lifetime, Jesus says, perfect righteousness, which is required to gain eternal life, Perfect righteousness is impossible for all of mankind. Every man, woman, and child who has ever walked this earth minus one has not been able to live up to perfect righteousness. That includes you, friend. That includes you, that includes me, that includes everyone sitting beside you, everyone sitting in this building, everyone in every church building across the world. Not one has accomplished perfect righteousness. Yet, perfect righteousness is what we must have to gain eternal life. So what hope can we have? If that's what's required... And if that's an impossibility for us, then what must we do? How can we have eternal life? Is there any hope whatsoever? Jesus said, but with God, all things are possible. With God, praise God, all things are possible. Perfect righteousness, though it's impossible for us, perfect righteousness is only possible with God. Perfect righteousness is only possible with God. God accomplishes perfect righteousness for us, perfect goodness for us. What must I do to gain eternal life? You can do nothing, but God can accomplish it for you. That's what Jesus is saying. What's impossible for you, Peter, James, John, Andrew, what's impossible for you is possible for God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to provide the righteousness that we cannot have ourselves. God sent His Son, Jesus, to come and accomplish perfect righteousness for us. Jesus is the one who came, God in the flesh who came. He took on human flesh and He obeyed the commandments perfectly. He obeyed God's will perfectly so that we might gain eternal life through Him. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus 
whom God put forward as a propitiation, as an appeasing sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith. In other words, dear friend, the only way to gain eternal life is to receive it as a gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. You want to know what you must do to have eternal life? Trust in Jesus. You have failed in perfect righteousness. Therefore, God sent His Son to be that propitiation, that appeasing sacrifice, to go to the cross and die on the cross in your place, taking the punishment for sin that you deserve, that I deserve, so that we might have the life that He earned. As he fulfilled righteousness, the righteousness of God with absolute perfection. We can gain eternal life by trusting in Jesus, giving our lives over to him. Dear friend, are you here today? Are you asking that question? Perhaps there are those here today that you came to this place seeking the answer to that very question. Surely the church has the answer. You came asking, what must I do to have eternal life? You can do nothing. You can do nothing. But Christ has done it all if you will only trust in Him and follow Him, then you will gain eternal life through Him. Do you trust Him today? Have you given your life over to Him? If not, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't wait until all your questions are answered. Just trust in Jesus. He'll answer all your questions later. Just trust in Him. Receive life today. Trust in Jesus. He's done what's required. Gain eternal life by trusting in Him, having faith in Him. The only way to gain eternal life is to receive it as a gift from God through faith in Jesus. Do you trust in Jesus? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, certainly there are those here today in this place who are struggling with that question, Lord. Lord, they've done all that they can do. They've been as good as they could possibly be, yet there's this burning in their heart that something more is needed. Oh Lord, let them seek the perfect righteousness that can only be found in Jesus today. Oh Lord, turn their hearts to Christ.
Turn their hearts to Christ, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Perhaps you are here today and you are asking that very question and maybe you still have a burning question and you're still struggling. Dear friend, all you have to do is turn to Jesus. But if you need more, if you need help, come. I want to talk to you. I'll walk you through it. Come to Jesus. Maybe you as a church member, maybe you trusted in Jesus, but maybe you've still been struggling. You've been struggling to give it all to Jesus. You've been struggling to give it all to Him, to surrender all to Him today. And come and make that commitment to surrender it all to Him. Stand with us, please.